The subject for this evening's talk is the way of service. In the oldest uh, spiritual traditions of the East, spiritual life was often compartmentalized into a number of specific uh, areas. Each one of these areas was fully endorsed so that we as human beings could actively and consciously cultivate and develop each one to bring the fullness of ourselves to bear on this earth. And they showed themselves in four specific areas. One of them is knowledge. Not knowledge so much in the way that we usually conceive of the accumulation of information, but knowledge meaning teachings in the way which are expressed, which actually make a valuable difference to our life, in which in a very direct and immediate way we feel the impact of, and this contributes to our way of being in the world. Knowledge, of course, can and does come from factors and sources outside of ourselves, but also through insight and understanding and realizations emerging from inside of ourselves. So the experience in life of knowing, knowing well and knowing clearly, and the conviction of knowing is one attribute of awarenesses in life, of spiritual life. Another feature which brings a human being to fullness of life is devotion and the way and the place of the heart in life. Sometimes the devotion has become uh, exclusively defined through various religious forms, through the various uh, tribute of uh, beliefs, and sometimes in some sense through the devotion of that which we might conceive of as greater than ourselves. But there's devotion to not only in the familiar forms of religious life, but there is devotion which is the heart's expression of a relationship to life in which that which one cares for, one is devoted to. And the feature and expression of uh, devotion is a way of being in the world in which the heart feeling life and the deep intimate feelings of life do have opportunity and chance for expression. And the acknowledgement and the recognition in our experience, in our inner life of uh, the place of devotion is a very significant, important human experience and obviously is a common throughout uh, many uh, cultures. So 
when we are considering our life, what is worth knowing, we ask ourselves. What in life, for us, with our experiences in life, is worth being devoted to? And third area of which life and our contribution and, and again for the fullness of participation in it also includes meditation. Meditation, not necessarily in terms of the sitting, walking form which we usually associate as meditation, but rather it's that capacity of one's life of consciousness to be able to dwell quietly and in a sustained way on existence and in that to see what, it re what is revealed and shown to us through that dwelling upon, through that contemplation upon. Sometimes that dwelling upon, that contemplating, meditating upon is such that it also brings with it a natural kind of reflection. It brings with it a knowing as well. And that reflection and knowing may show itself in what we dwell upon. What does this mean to me? What's revealed through this? What do I have to see here? What do I need to understand here? What, what's the exposure that's taking place here? And that we put into the general way of meditating upon. And sometimes, of course, that does and can include our uh, inner experiences and our general personality and psychology. But sometimes, too, and equally important, it must expand outwardly as well. Our dwelling upon, as we have been doing here, on the experience of the here and now are dwelling upon the experience of stillness, of the palpable presence in life, of silence, the dwelling upon with the fullness of consciousness of the nature and the relationship to the nature in a very uninterrupted way so that one does feel the connection with the nature and what that means in the deeper uh, intimacies of our psyche. So there is knowing in life. There is devotion in life. There is these meditative awarenesses in life. And the fourth one is the one of service. What way, what can we express service to life? What kind of service can we express to life? Unfortunately, and very easily, we tend to compartmentalize service into a particular role or function in life, a particular skill or training which we have. And so, the general mode of relating, and it's rather a limited viewpoint, of course, is that in relating through service the way we imagine it, in some way or other, is I I'm doing something for another. I am doing something for our earth. I am doing something for this particular uh, group of people, or for the animals, or for the forests, or whatever. So, in that relationship of service, it, it appears like something has touched us, 
somewhere in the past or in the present. It's brought a response out of us and that response has generated an action of body, speech and mind and the general sense is that one is doing something for others. And sometimes we will use the expression we're you know, helping others, we are contributing to others, we are working with others. And that whole sense of service seems to be one of, I am here, they or he or she or that is there, and there's some activity which helps make something happen. Very normal, conventional way of experiencing and describing. And just as in the uh, go around uh, this afternoon, that we should not underestimate in that go around uh, the power of such a situation to be in. It for has forced and will continue to force many people who participate in a retreat and participate in the go around to look at one's life. And many, many times I have heard over the years, people have said to me in this uh, retreat that as a result of listening to the go-around and just hearing the quality and, and strength of people's commitments and what people are doing in their life for others, that for knowing a number of people it's brought up, sometimes in a difficult way, a whole host of questions about oneself which were never actually expected to be asking when coming on a retreat. No one had entered into the retreat for some relaxation or reduction of stress or to solve some problems or whatever. And that one has walked out of it after nine days and having no idea whether one can honestly go back into the situation in which one was in, into that particular field that one is. And one's life without one intending it sometimes has and does in such situations like the go-around generate for some people quite an upheaval because one has listened to the changes uh, that other people have made and the steps they have made in which somewhere in all of those steps which have been made the kind of impression, the powerful impression is left as a residue that, that people are, are, are saying in all sorts of ways other people matter as much as myself. That that somehow is um, um, being addressed and thus it can, as I'd say, generate some kind of upheaval for some people in which some people have said to me the way I've been thinking is that we all must just look after ourselves. We all must just really take care of ourselves. That ought to be our priority. I've been doing this all my life. It doesn't seem to have worked. Maybe I can look at things in another way than what the tradition says, less dualistically. Less dualistically, meaning less separation between oneself and other and the bridging of that separation becomes one of the immense challenges between people.
what will bridge that separation between one and another. So these four areas of knowing, of devotion, of meditative awarenesses, and of service, say, yes, these things matter in life, in human experience. Is there any one of these which, when I look at my life, is neglected? Is there any one of these which I really don't concern myself with, which I don't dwell upon or reflect upon? You know, am I, am I, kid, am I dedicated and committed to knowing, to inquiry, to discovery, to insight and realization? Do I find manifestations of, of, of devotion in life to what is around me and all that is implied in that? Do I find in my, in my life the time and opportunity and that quietitude for those contemplative moments and meditations and reflections which help me to see things a little bit more clearly, which gets lost in my busyness, in my preoccupations, in my in my doing? Am I finding ways, whatever they are, but gestures in life, in which somehow the gestures I make in life somehow do embrace others. They do include others. And there is some meeting point there. Sometimes we think, or we imagine, that with service, that it has to be active, and personalized involvement with other people, but not necessarily so. One can engage in great service in this world, and I don't think one should feel obliged to be social, obliged to spend uh, much time with others, but nevertheless, service can be expressed, even in ways which sometimes we misconstrue in our uh, conventional ideas. And to give a small example of that, two and a half thousand years ago, one of the monks, Kasapa, went into the forest, he, and he was known in the those of uh, serious and intense practice for his solitariness, for his wish to be away from all the uh, norms of everyday society, and removed himself into the jungle. The common view of such a human being is, what good is that to anybody? What good is he doing for anybody? It's just a self-interested kind of thing to do, to withdraw and to go to the hut, to go to the countryside, to go to the cave or to the jungle or whatever. So sometimes we form an opinion and a judgment and say, well, what could the service be in that kind of life? And when Kasapa was approached and asked, why, why, why this, why are you with, with, withdrawing? And he said that in going into the forest, he was going out of compassion. He was going as a contribution to a life as a reminder of utter renunciation and simplicity. He was going into the forest to remind people of the significance of, of being in the nature and feeling the nature morning, noon and night. He was going into the forest to inspire others to rediscover what life was like in the forest. 
and we can talk about such things morning, noon and night, but it's the ones who actually say, I'm going to speak with my feet, who actually do the real talking in life. And I remember when in my time as a, as a monk and, uh, and after the years in the monastery going um, to sol into solitude, into the cave, the story of, of Kasapa, Maha Kasapa they called him when he died, the great Kasapa. The story of Kasapa for myself and for uh, other monks was a tremendous uh, uh, source of inspiration and knowing that, that ge one generation after another of men and women had gone from the crowd, had gone from the marketplace, had gone from the group, had gone from the monastic situation and had moved and be had become the living generation who said, let me go to the forest, let me go to the jungle, let me live uh, in the cave, let me experience my aloneness so utterly and completely on this earth when it's just me and the sky above and the earth below and the, the begging bowl in, in silence and solitude in the, in the uh, fishing village nearby. And so sometimes, as I, as I say, the, the outer appearance of what is service, we can have an idea and a, a model for it, but service must expand itself in ways and to be acknowledged by us. And that acknowledgement of what service is must include loved ones. Must include one's loved ones. And sometimes there are some times one is engaged in work in this world, but the work and the service sometimes is more for people who uh, one doesn't know at incredible neglect of the loved ones. And, we also, and sometimes it works the reverse, that the, the concept of the family, the concept of me and my partner, me and my children, that the service actually is within a, a particular circle, exclusively. And thus everything is made entirely for the circle. So I say, when we're looking at our, our relationship to service, where is the circle? Where, how, where's the heart's place? What are, managed, what are the gestures of kindness in this world? What way can they actively show themselves? Because it's the, it's the kindness which does, shows the wisdom. The kindness shows our wisdom. Sometimes service also comes in, a, and in all of these fields in a way which is important not to take, as we have explored and discussed a little bit here over the days, in whatever we do, not to take ourselves or this world too seriously. Just not to take it too seriously. And I co commented, have commented once or, or twice this week, life is too profound to be taken seriously. <laughs> and yet, sometimes we live with a kind of heaviness with regard to the, the world and we kind of, somehow it, it, it undermines or takes the spirit out of us. And sometimes we need desperately the humor of life as one of the strong features of a healing existence. 
of an existence which is, as it were, to recover from the pains of the present or of the past. And humor is a vital, vital ingredient in all of that, which so easily and so often just gets neglected. We forget to laugh. We can go to meetings, and the meetings may have their serious uh, component to them. They may be dealing with particular life issues, which are charged at that time, and one wishes to respond sensitively to them. But it's a great pity if in all of that one never remembers to laugh, never remembers humour. And the old teachings of, uh, show a wisdom in life which says with meetings, particularly out of the old Buddhist text, one begins a, a meeting with silence and uh, awareness, what in the Greens we call a attunement for a moment or two, and one endeavours to ensure that it ends in such a way. And one, of the, and one forgets very easily with the world of communication and providing a service to each other, that sometimes the meeting kind of ends in a very, in like, like rags, like a, a, a motley bunch of laggard human beings drifting out of some smoke-filled room, <laughs> as though there had been a meeting taking place in, instead of a... a whatever. <laughs> and those situations like that, because somewhere in, in all of that, the, the completion of something in such a thing as a meeting really matters a great deal, because if, if there isn't some completion, some steadiness and stillness and quietude in the end, so easily people carry the, their interpretation out into the world, and unfortunately, not only carry it, but the stickiness of the impression is then carried into the next meeting. The old misunderstandings, the old resentments, the old hostilities, or whatever. Ending of meetings and the way, the way meetings end matter a great deal. And sometimes if human beings are just willing just to be silent, just to be still for a moment or two, just to be steady, just to be relaxed together, a lot of the tension and the charge and all the impressions moving back and forwards can really drop away. And people can walk out of the room feeling lighter and clearer and freer and a little bit more close together than just a meeting ending in argument and misunderstanding and then human beings going their separate ways, thinking that the meeting is over and only to experience it. They're still churning over it an hour later, a day later, until then the meeting comes back and they're doomed to repeat history. So any activity in life which you and I are engaged can be and is an opportunity for service and that service needs to be looked at carefully. And those people who are in the world of generating out information, as I mentioned that first aspect of a fulfilled life, we need to be aware of what kind of generation of uh, information that we are actually putting out. What do we put in our, in our letters? What do we put out when we make a telephone call? What do we put out in the papers that we write? What do we put out when we're speaking about a third person? 
What do we put out when we're speaking about a third person? And is it, isn't it necessary for us sometimes to really look, and if we're speaking about a third person, you know, is it sometimes that the intention is to create an impression in which the person we are speaking to has the same kind of projections, negativity, irritation, etc., etc., and that we can't, we don't feel comfortable with just having out, uh, out, out our, uh, having it and possessing it ourselves. What we actually do is, I can't stand hanging it myself. The more people that I can get to be as miserable <laughs> as I am, the better I'll feel. So we enter into kind of gossips and, and backbiting and, and putting down in relationship to help make us feel better that other people think the same as we do. What kind of service is that for anybody? No service for the person we might be talking about. No service for ourselves and no service for another human being and in the type of impression which we are trying to leave. And no human being can ever communicate the whole story of another person. So when we're speaking of service, as I say, we're, we're, we're trying to break out of the conventional mold of a spe specified role and see that somehow or other it might well be related to all activities. Sometimes with uh, service and communication, and I'm thinking more public uh, um, communication, the whole industry needs to be uh, examined very, very carefully. The propaganda which is being generated. There needs to be a wholesale revolutionary attitude towards the kind of information that you and I are bombarded with every day. Why is it that there's no real organized protest taking place about advertising and the destructive and harmful influence that it has on people, about the degree of violence that exists in advertising, <laughs> the, the degree of sexual uh, exploitation that agrees, that goes on with it, the capacity to make human beings feel dissatisfied with themselves. It feeds into that, yet somehow or other we challenge government and we challenge business and we challenge those who destroy this, that and the other, but somehow or other we speak about problems and yet somehow or other the world of the power of the image through advertising has not really had to face the challenge of ordinary people, not had to face the endless assault upon human beings of endless propaganda which is as destructive to the earth as the propaganda we are constantly accusing um, um, these uh, wretched regimes in other parts of the world. It's just as devastating on human life and human uh, existence and on the environment and all that goes with it. Yet somehow or other we don't think it is propaganda, we don't think we are being assaulted with it, and we limply, submissively go along with it, and we use the wretchedness of the concept choice. What choice?
Coca-Cola or Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> Big Mac, Mac or a Wimpy Mike. <laughs> Sometimes in our looking at our relationship, our experience of uh, service and what it means to inquire and, into and investigate in, in this Two, with, with religion, which is one of those you know, awful institutions which tend to take itself, ourself, far too seriously. Far too seriously. And something about the tightness that goes around beliefs. And sometimes, if one finds oneself in an argument over meditation, You know, a conflict over what is awareness. <laughs> something, something doesn't feel sit quite right. <laughs> if one you know finds oneself leaning on other human human beings and ge getting really mad at them because they're not showing loving kindness and metta. <laughs> it, 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 and yet these things go on in, in which the ideology of things seems so easily become so familiar that one is unable to recognize the difference between ideology and service, ideology and wisdom. And we, we, and we can easily take the concepts and we get so used to using the concepts, we think everybody understands what they mean. Many, 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 many people don't. So, I mean, as one um, person said today, and I've used the same context, con uh, concept, say, a start st about starting a sitting group. You know, th th this could be interpreted as, uh, as, a, as a group of people who are in a catatonic condition. <laughs> and, or like a, a friend of my mother who tele telephoned and she said, um, can I speak, she wanted to speak to her son, can I speak to uh, my son? And the friend who answered the phone said, oh, I'm sorry, um, he's sitting at the moment. <laughs> and she said, well, said quite rightly, well, tell him to get off his ass and get to the phone. So, again, one gets used to a kind of language. One thinks one knows what one is talking about, that equally that other uh, people do, and one doesn't realize that one's imprisoned oneself into a kind of uh, uh, view of things and into a particular language, and, and it's not generating any peace and harmony in this world. It's contributing to gaps and misunderstanding and reactivity all around. You never underestimate the value of awareness of our words as a feature of service. Never to underestimate the, the power of words, the influence of words as a feature of human service. And it's not surprising, therefore, that, that quite often in, in the daily life situation, 
you know, people may say, you know, well, the fact is, whoever may say, I don't sit every day, I don't meditate in the kind of uh, form image that comes <coughs> with it, but nevertheless, it's not whether one sits in the form daily which is of the matter, but the relationship to the fullness of, of the day, and that fullness of the day often and does include the relationship to other people, relationship to ourselves as well, of course. Where is the service? What kind of service are we providing? What are we sharing? What are we offering? What are we participating in? Sometimes with the, bl the blast of uh, in information, that, as I say, religion sometimes does genuinely have a, a delightful um, sense of humour uh, about it. And, and even sometimes in some circles and religions where one has wondered whether it has got uh, lost or not. But I do, as I say, I think it's a sign of humour, is a sign of health when one's not attempting to put down something but much more rather attempting to show something, to, to bring out a feature, to reveal something. And one rather nice story uh, which I uh, heard um, some time ago, and this is coming out of, from a friend, coming out of you know, Catholic Portugal, and those of you who have uh, experienced the Mediterranean uh, countries, in often a very strong uh, Catholic tradition, in those countries, and I uh, myself um, brought up as a, a, a Roman uh, Catholic, and now I tell my um, dear mother that, now that I'm a roaming Catholic with a <laughs> small r and a small c, but she's only interested in the capital R, capital C, and therefore I don't qualify. <laughs> and this lovely story which I heard in Portugal, I referred earlier to um, advertising, in which um, uh, a, a man who would make, was making nails, and um, he put an advertisement in the um, local um, newspaper, and the advertisement showed the cross, the crucifixion, and uh, Jesus on the cross with the, 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 the nails in his hands and feet. And, and, and the uh, headline for the advertisement said underneath, um, um, Zachariah makes as good a nails as these. <laughs> the, 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 the local um, parish priest came round um, 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 the, next, the next day and said, Zachariah, you can't put that kind of advertisement to give a, 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 the wrong impression and uh, it really ought to be changed. <laughs> and so Zachariah said, well, I appreciate, I realize that. I, I promise, um, Padre, I'll, I'll change the advertisement. So a week went by and the following week there was an there was the, uh, advertisement and um, with the advertisement, um, um, one hand is hanging off the cross <laughs> and, and the foot is hanging out and, um, and, and the headline un underneath um, said um, Zachariah makes better nails <laughs> than the Romans. 
the, the, the following day, parish priest comes racing round to the little, the little factory of Zachariah and said, this is just terrible, Zachariah. You know, really, you just can't advertise like this. You can't advertise, you know, Jesus hanging on the cross <laughs> to, for your nails. He said, oh, Padre, you're, you're, you're right, you're right. And, and, and Padre said, you really understand? Zachariah said, yes, yes, yeah, and understand one can't have the advertisements of Jesus on the cross. The following week, <laughs> there was the advertisement. This time, the advertisement just had the cross. And Jesus uh, was on the cross. The, the advertisement um, said underneath, with just the cross and no Jesus, this could never have happened with Zacharias' nails. That was a great piece of Catholic humor. I really, I really thought that, that was coming from Catholic Portugal, and I thought it was a, a delight. So sometimes the church and, and, and priests and, you know, can really can see the humor of things in a way, and I think there's something very joyful and uh, freeing about that. And in its own wondrous and marvelous way, it really provides a, a, a service for people, a service in, in, in which the life itself expresses a vitality to it, and I think sometimes one single story can tell us uh, so much, and certainly such a story, I think Jesus would laugh his head <laughs> off to hear such a story. <laughs> so in our recognitions of what service is, and breaking, as it were, the parameters of service and the confinement that we can find ourselves in thinking of service in a very, very uh, narrow way. But that, as I say, the underlying, the intimating element of that, it shows some kind of unity. It shows some kind of awareness in which that awareness shows something is together between people or between person and nature, person, animals or whatever it might be. And something about that togetherness seems to be most tangible through the activities of body, speech and mind. Through the way that it shows itself. But then we ask, as we look more deeply into it, what is it? What is it that's showing itself? That, that somehow or other gives that intimacy? How is it at times when my mind is quiet, and I'm not thinking about self, not even thinking about others in a, in a positive way or not, and there is just uh, a silence of things, and that sometimes in that silence of things, as we have experienced here from time to time, and in the, the go-around and other situations here, and all the verbal uh, appreciations which have come, that somehow the verbal appreciations which have come which naturally are uh, an outpouring, is an outpouring from something. It's an outpouring from something. 
And that somehow is a kind of mystery which we can't really get a hold of or put into a compartment or hold together in one way or another. The other evening, we had Tan Mahagosananda here. I had mentioned a little bit of uh, his background and his, uh, his story. One of the things with Mahagosananda is that he was from a very high family in Cambodia. And his brother is the ambassador, another brother is a high court judge. During that tragic period of the 1970s, Mahagosananda lost every single relative. All of them. They all were murdered, all were killed. He lost everybody that he knew. And of course, the terrible devastation on monastic life, on the monks uh, themselves, and all of his family wiped, gone, all of them. And one would imagine that such a person as Mahagosananda and, and uh, a lover, of course, of his country, lover of his people as a, a monk, and as a human being, first and foremost, before monkhood and before nationality, I would think, how is it that such a human being, knowing all that and going through all of that as the information used to come to us in the monasteries in, when we were in Thailand about what was going on in Cambodia, how is it that somehow or other there isn't harshness and bitterness and hatred and there isn't despair about all, all of that. that. There's a kind of, another kind of voice that comes through him and others here and elsewhere. There's almost a kind of triumphant voice, a kind of, vo a kind of voice in which in, in the midst all of this, that something else, some, something authentic and powerful and deeply spiritual can actually come through and be committed to service. And in that commitment to service, in this case for his, his people, not show any hatred or bitterness or resentment to all those who perpetuated such unbelievable and almost unimaginable terror upon that land. This incredible capacity for that, and to provide service. You know, when Thich Nhat Hanh, who was another fellow member of the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, who um, many of you here know and uh, have much respect and love for, as I, I do, when he's meeting with the vets here in the United, United States, and sometimes, of course, having to hear in many, many extraordinarily painful stories of the consequences of that war, which are still going on in the lives of tens of thousands of people in this country and elsewhere. And he, and he has said to the, the vets, we, he says, on behalf of all of those Vietnamese who, who care and live with mindfulness and awareness and, uh, and loving kindness, he said, we wish 
and we do forgive you for all that happened in those horrendous years of the uh, invasion of Vietnam by uh, uh, the military uh, regime in this country and others. And then he said, and then Thich Nhat Hanh said, can you forgive us for what we have done to you? And I think those um, uh, statements of um, Thich Nhat Hanh, those uh, actions of um, Mahagosananda and, and others in, 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 in perhaps less intense, less dramatic ways, that somehow, somehow there's something that goes on which the differences and all that can be with differences matters less than something else. It matters so much less than something else that Thich Nhat Hanh can say to the people of America, he can say to the, to the vets and their military leaders, can you forgive us for what we have done to you? And I think it's that kind of response in life that we have to dig for and that we can discover with ourselves and we, with each other. And that has its own authority, has its, has its own power. And if you and I are willing to explore what that means in a devoted way, in a knowledgeable way, in a meditative way, as I was saying earlier, if, we, if we're willing to do that, then there'll be no limits to what we understand by service, by being together on this earth. There'll be no limits to the understanding of what it is that holds all this together, which is extraordinary. And that's our service, is the manifestation of our enlightenment. The service is the revelation of our awakening. It's the, it's the statement to the earth of our realization. And that can be expressed in the, in the mother's dedication to her child, it can be expressed by the monk who spends his life um, living in solitary in the jungle, and it can be expressed in our ordinary day-to-day -day communications. It expresses something deeply profound. And it's a deeply profound thing which we are concerned with, and that manifests in varieties of ways. Let's not neglect the opportunity. May all beings see into life. May all beings live with kindness. May all beings discover that depth.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.